In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. As you know, the month of Tuba comes after the Feast of Nativity. We celebrate the Nativity in the 29th of Kiak, and Kiak is the month that comes just before Tuba. So after we finish the month of Kiak, we start Tuba. So the church focus in the four Sundays of Tuba about the blessings of the incarnation of the Son of God. The gifts and the graces that we received with the incarnation of the Son of God. So number one, in the first Sunday, uh, the flight to Egypt, and it symbolizes that Jesus Christ did not come only to the Jews, but he came also to the Gentiles. And the reading of the first Sunday of Tuba, all of the readings are about how God came not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. He came to the whole world, that whoever believes in him, whoever accepts him, will be saved. Second Sunday, which is the last Sunday, the church spoke to us about the word of God. Blessed are they who hear and keep the word of God. When one of the women said about the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed is the womb that carried you, and blessed are the breasts that nursed you, but the Lord said, but blessed are those who keep and hear the word of God. In reference to why God the Father chose Saint Mary from all the women of the world, because she listened and kept the word of God in her heart. In the same way, with the incarnation of the Son of God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ did not come only with the law, but he came with the law and the grace. He came with the commandments and the grace. We read in John chapter 1 every morning in the first hour of the Agbeya, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. What does this mean? In the Old Testament, you have the commandments, but in order to apply them, you rely on your own power. There was no grace in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, you have the commandment, you have the word of God, but also you have the grace to help you to keep the word of God. That's why in the New Covenant, as St. John said, we know that his commandments are not burdensome. Now, since we have the grace of the Holy Spirit, anyone can keep the commandment of God not through his power, but through the power of uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's why John said the law was given by Moses. Moses just gave us some commandment, and we need to keep them. And nobody was able to keep them. Everyone broke at least one commandment. But in the new covenant, we have the grace, which make us 
uh, able to keep the commandment of God. So that is the second blessing of the incarnation of the Son of God. The first one, that God opened the door to the Gentiles. So not only the Jews are the chosen people of God, but anyone who believes in the Son of God, now from the family of God, now from the chosen people of God. The second blessing, that now we have the grace, the grace that helped me to keep the word of God, the commandment of God. So we have no excuse if we don't keep the commandment of God. Third uh, Sunday, uh, explain to us, which is today, that Jesus Christ came as the bridegroom. As St. John the Baptist said, he is the bridegroom. I am only just the friend of the bridegroom. And this actually is very important uh, 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 revelation about the Lord Jesus Christ. If he is the bridegroom, who is the bride? It is us. So there is a real marriage, a real unity between Jesus Christ and the church, the bride. The two shall become one. So in Jesus Christ, we will be one. And this uh, title or this description that he is a bridegroom was repeated several times. Repeated in the testimony of John the Baptist, repeated in the parable of the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins, repeated when St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians said, I betroth to you to offer a chaste virgin to Christ, repeated in the book of Revelation that there is the supper of the wedding of the Lamb, the wedding of Christ, the consummation of this marriage. So this concept that there is a marriage, a union between Christ and us actually is a very important message. Why? Once there is a union between Christ and us, then in him will be children of God the Father. God the Father has one only begotten Son, the Son of the Father, Jesus Christ. He didn't have any other children. And he's begotten, as we say in the creed, like light of light, true God of true God. When we say begotten from the Father, we should not think about earthly uh, birth or, or labor. Then, St. Paul explained in Romans chapter 8, why this important for us. Once we are one with Christ, then we are children of God. He is son of God by nature, but we are children of God by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming one with him by adoption. The Son of God, only the children are eligible for inheritance. So when we become children of God through our union 
with our Lord Jesus Christ, then we can inherit the kingdom of God. As St. Paul said in Romans 8, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs with Christ, in Christ, not away from him. So the only way for God the Father to adopt us when we as bride are united with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. So here actually the manifestation or the revelation to us, Jesus came to the world as the bridegroom and he's proposing, asking us to accept him as groom. Whoever accept him, then in the sacraments of the church, this union will be actualized through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit in the sacraments of the church. So I can summarize what I said, and I say, we are children of God the Father through our marriage to his Son, Jesus Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit in the sacraments of the church. Again, we are children of God the Father through our marriage to our Lord Jesus Christ. And who will actually perform this marriage by the work of the Holy Spirit in the sacraments of the church? And uh, that's why there is no salvation outside the church. The gospel of today ended by this. He who believes in the Son, believes in the Son means accepted his proposal, accepted him to be my bridegroom, has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son, he who rejected the Son, and does not accept the Son as bridegroom, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him because all of us we are in a rebellion against God when we obey Satan. But he sent his son to save us. When we accept him, we end this rebellion. Then we are in peace with God. But if we reject the Son of God, this means I insist to continue in my rebellion against God. That's why the rest of God will abide on these people. So, in the third Sunday, the Church explains to us the third blessing of the incarnation of the Son of God. He came to you as the bridegroom to be united with him. And when you are united with him, you will inherit the kingdom of God. That's why St. John the Baptist made actually a very uh, important testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony that uh, you heard in the gospel of today. And this testimony composed actually of nine important elements. The first element, as he said, 
uh, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So the first element in the testimony that Jesus Christ is sent from heaven. How John the Baptist knew this? Because during the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, he heard the Father saying about the Son, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And also, he saw the Holy Spirit descending on the head of Jesus. And God the Father said to John the Baptist, Upon whom you will see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist, during the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, knew very well that Jesus is the Messiah is sent from heaven. He did not come by himself, but he is sent from heaven. The second element, <coughs> uh, he said about the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the bridegroom. When he said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So, John the Baptist came as a friend of the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom is the one who prepares the wedding for the groom. So, after the wedding is over and everything went peacefully and joyfully, the friend of the bridegroom rejoices greatly because everything was done perfectly. John the Baptist, the forerunner who came to prepare and pave the way for the Messiah, for the Lord Jesus Christ, said, I am just the friend of the bridegroom. I came and prepared the way. I called the people to repentance. I asked them to repent in order to be ready to accept the bridegroom when he comes. And now I saw the bridegroom and I saw how the Holy Spirit anointed him in the River Jordan. So now my joy is fulfilled. My joy is fulfilled. Uh, my mission is accomplished. I prepared the way, and now the bridegroom is ready to receive his bride. <coughs> and the church father compared between the marriage of Adam and Eve and the marriage of our Lord Jesus Christ and the church. They said that God put Adam to sleep and also Jesus Christ slept on the cross in his death. Then God opened the side of Adam and took a rib and from this rib he created Eve. Also on the cross, the side of our Lord Jesus Christ was opened. And from this side gushed water and blood. Water is the baptism. Blood is the communion. 
And from these sacraments, the church was created, the church of the New Testament. Then God actually raised Adam from his sleep as the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the death on the third day. Then God presented Eve to Adam and the church was presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. When Adam saw Eve, he said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In the same way, St. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, we are of his bones and of his flesh. So there is unity, complete unity between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam called Eve, Eve means the mother of all the living. And the church also is the mother of the living. So, John the Baptist saw with the eye of prophecy that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. The third element, he said in his testimony, about Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. <coughs> because some people tried to stir jealousy in the heart of John the Baptist. They told him, the one about whom you testified, now he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. So they want to stir jealousy. But John the Baptist knew that he is not the Messiah, knew that he is just the forerunner, the friend of the bridegroom. So he said, there is no place for jealousy here. He must increase and I must decrease. That's why John the Baptist sent his disciples to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Andrew and John the Beloved, these were disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist sent them to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a lesson here to all of us. When we serve God, when we serve one another, are we giving glory to God or try to bring attention to ourselves? Do we say he must increase, God must increase in glory and I must decrease? Or I want to bring all the glory to myself, even if I'm stealing God's glory. He must increase and I must decrease. The fourth element in his testimony, he said, He who comes from above is above all. And he who is earthly, he, he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. So now he said that Jesus is sent from heaven. He is the son of God. Then this word in his fourth element when he said he is above all, it's a testimony about his divinity. 
As if John the Baptist saying, I am from earth. All of us were created from the dust of the earth. But Jesus is not from the earth. He's the son of God. He's born from the father, begotten from the father before all ages. Light of light, true God of true God. So now Jesus is not a man whom we make divine, but he is God who became man. Big difference between the two concepts. Jesus is not a human being whom we make him divine. This would be heresy. But Jesus is God who became man. He is above all because he came from heaven. The fifth element from uh, in his testimony, since Jesus came from heaven, he said, what he has seen and heard, because he's one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. So Jesus came to reveal to us the love of God the Father. To reveal to us the mystery of the Holy Trinity. To reveal to us the mystery of salvation. He came, as we read in John chapter 1, no one has seen the Father, means no one has known the Father. But the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has revealed him to us. So Jesus came with a testimony, came to reveal to us the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, came to reveal to us the mystery of salvation, mystery of the Holy Trinity. But unfortunately, many people reject his testimony. And until now, many people reject his testimony. Although no one knows the truth except the Son, because he is sent from heaven, because he's eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And his testimony is the true testimony. But no one will receive his testimony. That's why uh, the sixth point in his testimony, he said, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. So we the believers, when actually accepted the testimony of the Son, as if we certified that God is true. God is true. Why? God sent us the prophets in the Old Testament with many prophecies about Jesus and about the incarnation of the Son of God. When we receive the Son and we believe in Him, then the testimony of God and the prophecies that God sent to us in the Old Testament, we say He is true. God is true. When God promised Adam and Eve, that the descendant or the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, he is true. In the fullness of time, he sent his son to crush the head of the serpent. So by believing in the son, I am testifying 
that the Father is true. He who believes in the Son has certified that God is true. Why? Because he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. He speaks the word of God. The seventh element in the testimony of John the Baptist, he said, for God does not give the spirit by measure. God does not give the spirit by measure. All of us, we received the spirit by measure according to our ability. According, because we are limited. The only one, the only one who received the Spirit without any measure is the Son of God, is Jesus Christ. He has the fullness of the Spirit because He is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So, anything He would say it is in harmony with the Father and the Holy Spirit. All the works that he done, all the miracles, there is no limit, limitation. There is no boundaries to limit him. He has the fullness of the Spirit. So that is a very important testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because another proof of his divinity God did not give him the Spirit by measure because he is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit from eternity. The eighth point he said, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. The Father loves the Son and given all things into his hand because the Father and the Son are one. So the Son now is fulfilling the economy of the Holy Trinity in saving the world. And the Son has everything in his hand. So, in his power, he can save us. In his power, he can give us the authority to be the children of God. As we read in John chapter 1, he who believes in him, he gives them the authority to be children of God. Because everything was given into his hand. And the last point in the testimony of John the Baptist, he said, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And now, actually, as I explained in the beginning, receiving the Son, meaning receiving him as our bridegroom. He came and proposed to us to be our bridegroom to be in marriage, to be in union with him. There is something called spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery, when actually our heart goes uh, after the love of the world, love of the pleasures of the world, love of money, love of pride. Uh, in, in the letter of St. James, uh, he said, uh, adulterers and adulteresses. Then he explained why he is calling uh, people adulterers and adulteresses. He told them, don't you know that the love of the world is enmity to God? So now, when we were baptized, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we committed ourselves as bride 
to him. Every time my heart goes after the pleasures of the world, after the love of money, love of pride, love of pleasure, this actually as if we are committing a spiritual adultery. We need to understand our commitment to Christ as his bride and to live faithful to him. My heart, my thought, my mind, my being, all of it is given to God. He came as bridegroom and accepted me who was created from the dust to be united with him who is divine. What a privilege that we have. What a privilege. Can you imagine if a person from the royal family went to a very poor girl and want to marry her? What privilege she would have. Here I'm not speaking about a royal family. I'm speaking about God, Lord of Lords and God of Gods. He wants to be my bridegroom. Am I going to live my life faithful to him? Or am I going to cheat on him when I allow love of the world, love of money, love of uh, pleasures enter into my heart? Let us be committed to this beautiful relationship and beautiful union so that we will have eternal life with all the saints. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.